This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where the world's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. And tonight, Andy No, the ultimate investigative journalist who went undercover in the far-left group Antifa and published the highly controversial New York Times bestseller Unmasked inside Antifa's radical plan to destroy democracy. The Antifa rioters who have physically attacked Andy countless times, usually associated with lawless US cities like Portland, but are there anarchist protests heading to the UK? Take a look at these disturbing images from Dalston, East London on Saturday, where a mob of violent protesters attacked police carrying out a pre-planned operation tackling moped-related crime, which was characterised by lefty activists on social media as an immigration raid. Several officers were injured in a nasty scene reminiscent of when the BLM protests in London in 2020 turned ugly. It's the latest in a long line of left-wing demonstrations that have turned violent, including the lawless mob who dumped the Colston statue in the Bristol Harbour, and the aggressive trans ninjas who assaulted a women's rights activist in Manchester just this Sunday uh, gone. So Andy No jo- joins me now. Andy, w- w- what do you make of this? Are anarchists going to bring Antifa-style chaos to the UK? Is that what you're picking up? Well, what surprised me or, um, or what was noteworthy, I think, about the violent protests that happened over the weekend in Dalston is that the way it was organized uh, was done exactly like how it had been done in the United States in Portland when really? r- rioting after George Floyd died happened. So it was done on social media, on Twitter. Um, activists would put out misinformation and disinformation about some type of action that they would call for their comrades to uh, immediately show up in numbers. Uh, That tactic is called cyber swarming. There has been some research on it. It's a phenomenon now that I think the legislation in in my country as well as yours hasn't really caught up. What do you do when there are those who are using ostensibly free speech to incite mob violence? Um, And so in the scenes in Dalston, we had similar instances in the United States many times where people would either falsely or misleadingly claim that there was, was some type of raid on immigrants and it, that would inflame people to co- go out. And as happened in Dalston, there was somebody who was <clears throat> underneath one of the police vehicles who had to be pulled out. And that was where one of the viral videos was seen. Uh, there were reports from people on the scene that the violent protesters assaulted law enforcement and hurled projectiles. And then, Andy, just like in the case of the uh, trans extremists who were dressed as ninjas, they try and say after the fact that the police are misrepresenting the footage and didn't show everything that's going on. Is, is that straight out of the US playbook too? Well, this is why it's so important for there to be journalists on the scenes of protests so that the videos can be recorded and that independent um, agencies, investigators can analyze the footage and determine if there's wrongdoing. I'm certainly not making a defense for um, disproportionate use of force by law enforcement, but video footage can usually contextualize when um, why law enforcement needs to use force. So a a five-second video doesn't really show the context behind it. And regarding what happened in in Manchester, I know that um, the author J.K. Rowling has described some of the uh, 
black uniform wearing um, protesters as uh, ninjas, which I think, uh, I mean, it's funny, but it kind of diminishes a bit of the violent and extremist ideology behind them. They're part of um, an anarchist Antifa group, and they responded to calls from their comrades to go and to prevent uh, feminist protesters from having a lawful demonstration. So, so those people, sorry, Andy, just to interrupt, though, to, to clarify, those so-called ninjas, they're part of Antifa? They're self-identified anarchists. So an- Antifa is part, it's part of an anarchist communist ideology. It's, it's the same ideology that they organize under. Because this is what Antifa activists hide behind, right? They say, oh, we're not an organized group. But, but that's not really true, is it? They do organize. Well, not only do they organize through specific Twitter handles and through flyers that are disseminated online, they wear uniforms so they can identify one another. And in the case of Manchester, they even actually had a flyer for their specific group, which was the Anarchist Federation. So you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at what they say and what they actually do to see that they are an organized group or organization or cell or movement. So we should be worried about Antifa in the UK then? You should be worried, but at the same time, I'm not trying to overstate uh, the threat. I think hyperbole is not helpful. Um, I think compared to my country, your country's legislations to deal with violent unrest is a lot better. However, I think what is concerning, though, is that... um, as more and more people take to direct action to protest whatever cause, I think if those in the mainstream aren't willing to condemn political violence, regardless of the political persuasion, that's that's scary. And that's a, uh, a bad direction for this country. And I certainly for some of the reactions from violence that, political violence that has happened in the UK in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of excuses for it. And how are you going, Andy? Because of course, you had to deal with literal, physical beatings multiple times in order to cover this story. Um, I'm still dealing with a lot of the trauma. I know that word is overused a lot. Um, I've had to... I miss being on the ground uh, as a video journalist, but I'm unable to do that type of work anymore because of the death threats against me. And so, um, Because you became a target for Antifa, right? Yeah, multiple times. And so my warning to the British public is not to be complacent and to assume that the status quo will always remain. There are those who are working through various institutions here and working from within to really try to undermine your rule of law as they have done in my country. And they will use violence because you're proof of that. Violence is a feature, not a bug, of their ideology. Mm, Absolutely chilling stuff. Thank you so much for your work. That was the American journalist and author, Andy No. Welcome back. An important interview now, as a 14-year-old Carabelle started experiencing extreme discomfort with her body and identity and she became severely depressed. 
after discovering American trans activists on YouTube, Kara decided she needed to medically transition to make her feel better, and she began using male pronouns. But as her home life deteriorated, her depression and anxiety worsened, and she was referred to a GP. After insisting to an NHS psychologist that she wanted to be a boy, she was referred to the Gender Identity Development Service at London's Tavistock and Portman Clinic, where Kara says she repeated the brash assertion that she needed to transition to a male. Failing to investigate Kara's mental health issues, the clinic advised the then teenage girl that she was indeed male and should undergo what she has since described as, quote, an experimental treatment. After only four superficial hour-long appointments, the clinic set Kara on a transitioning pathway that saw her receive puberty blockers aged 16, testosterone shots aged 17, and a double mastectomy aged 20. But after realising she wasn't a man and sick of being a medical experiment, Kara stopped taking testosterone and began detransitioning five years after the damaging process has started. Now, Kara sadly bears irreversible scars from her treatment, but she was brave enough to pursue a judicial review of the Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust to stop other kids repeating her mistake. The High Court initially found in favour of Kara's landmark case and NHS England immediately declared that under-16s would not receive blockers without a court order. Although that decision was overturned in September last year and she was denied an appeal. Despite that, there's no doubt that Kara's courageous fight has given the issue of puberty blockers the global prominence it deserves. Women's rights champion J.K. Rowling had glowing praise for Kara and the huge significance she has undoubtedly had on the gender identity debate. The Harry Potter author tweeted, Alison Bailey, Kara Bell and Sonia Appleby, one day books will be written looking back at the full impact gender identity ideology had on vulnerable youth, women's rights and freedom of speech here in the UK. And these women will rightly be seen as heroines. And I'm delighted to say that Kara joins me now. So, Kara, you must be heartened by the fact the government now seems to be taking this issue of puberty blockers, which you're so passionate about after what you experienced, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something we've all been kind of hoping for for a long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, fortunately, there's been enough uh, pushback uh, uh, for from from for all of this that um you know something things seem to be finally changing yeah and Carol what's so fascinating is when you actually look at the data and you look at a story like yours what seems to be happening but tell me if I'm wrong because you've lived through it but what seems to be happening is that uh lesbian women lesbian teenagers who are confused about their sexuality, are almost being trapped into a uh, trans medical cycle. Is is that what you see going on? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's it's all across the board. There are lesbian women, bisexual women, even straight women, and the same for men uh, and, and boys. Um, it's uh, it's a very complex issue because it's it's, uh, it's it's not just about sexuality. It's about uh, not fitting in and not not living yeah. up to society's expectations. So it's um, yeah, it's really it's a really complex situation that's uh, going to take a lot of work to to tackle at the root. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, 
for me personally, as a teenager, hormones all over the place. And actually, you just need to get through that period, I think, to work out where you are. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it, it should be, that shouldn't even be a thing. Uh, you know, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that's the case. Um, children being put on this pathway, it's, it's, um, it's ridiculous, yeah. And tell me, Kara, how difficult life has been for you as a result of your treatment? Because, of course, the puberty blockers and the, the different hormone and testosterone treatment that you're on has had a massive impact on someone who wants to live life now as what you are, a, a, a woman. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can never, can never get that back. I mean, uh, my life's completely on a different path uh, and on a negative one um in the sense that uh you know I, I i won't be able to live out the things that i should have been able to live out and and uh, the way i'm perceived and and personal matters as well are all completely affected yeah because of course one of the most difficult things about the treatment is that when you were very young uh you did consent to the fact that it might take away your ability to have children. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, none of this stuff has been tested uh, completely unaware of, of uh, the, the extent of the damage that has been caused. Um, but um, yeah, I, I have no idea until, until I get to that stage, I guess. Do you still feel angry about it, Kara? Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I need to get to a stage where, and I feel like I am getting to that stage where um, I can kind of put it in, in a box and kind of, uh, you know, because I have to continue with, with living my life and I can't, um, I can't stay on this, this for, you know, and, and there's so many different aspects to my life that I'm, I'm dealing with. I mean, that's just a very small one that unfortunately was inflated at, at a bad time. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to, trying to move forward, yeah. So what's your message to the health secretary, uh, Sajid Javid, who does seem to be open to having this discussion? I mean, should anyone under 18, for example, be able to go on puberty blockers and, and go through these sorts of treatments at all? Or should you have to wait until you're 18? Um, I don't think that's really for, for me to say, because... Um, I can only speak from personal experience and I know what I was like under 18 and, and even even beyond that, uh, I, I didn't really, I don't think anyone can see how it's really going to affect you further down the line. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it is not really for me to say, but I, I, I don't think uh, for most kids it shouldn't be allowed, yeah. Because from your personal experience, Kara, it sounds like there wasn't enough investigation into what was going on with you psychologically. You know, you had a really difficult family circumstances at the time. You were battling with your sexuality. So presumably you think there should have been much more time spent to actually understand what you were living through and what you were going through rather than just putting you on this medical path. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I firmly believe that uh, gender dysphoria is a symptom of... of of deeper things going on wow. um 
I mean, yeah, it's just it's as simple as that, really. I mean, uh, there's no such thing as being born in the wrong body. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's quite shocking to me when I look back and none of the adults really uh, noticed that or, or cared. Well, I find it absolutely fascinating that that is your view because obviously we need to believe you, given you have lived through this. Uh, how heartening has it been, Kira, to see the support of someone as high profile as J.K. Rowling, who we have to admit has made this discussion so prominent and international too? Absolutely. I mean, I, I respect her completely, um, not only uh, with with the fact that she's speaking out uh, as such a public figure about this particular heated topic, uh, but uh, creatively as well. And, uh, yeah, that was a very sweet message uh, from her. I mean, I, like I said, I just have tonnes of respect for her. I mean, it, it can't be easy, uh, despite the position that she's in. And, Kara, what would your advice be to the parent of a child now? Because, by the way, we see the numbers. I mean, the numbers are shooting up, shooting up. Uh, the number of... of teenage kids at the moment in Britain who are starting to go through the same process that that you went through. What would be your advice to a parent worried that their child, their teenager, might be able to make an irreversible decision that they will come to regret? I mean, I always struggle with these questions because I'm not a parent um, and it was something that my parents went through and I mean, I haven't even got to the bottom of kind of how they dealt with it, really. And that's not really been a big discussion. So, um, but I mean, I'm 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 on the sidelines, just like them, really, just waiting for uh, the, the bigger changes to happen to the point where kids aren't being harmed anymore. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, look, keep fighting the good fight, and I hope we stay in touch because uh, your story is phenomenal and it's incredibly brave. Uh, to speak out in the way that you are. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, so I'm delighted we made it happen tonight. That's the activist. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, The Tavistock Trust uh, welcomed the decision to deny Kara a Supreme Court appeal on her case. They said, our hardworking, caring and thoughtful colleagues in the Gender Identity Development Service and the patients they support will be relieved by the end of this period of uncertainty. But it's what the Farage time now with the country's most famous Nigel. And breaking tonight, the EU has signalled it could trigger a trade war and legal challenge if the UK rips up part of the Northern Ireland Protocol. The controversial deal struck after Brexit ensured there would be no return to the hard border with the Republic of Ireland, but creates an effective border in the Irish Sea. Of course, something the Democratic Unionist Party argues undermines Northern Ireland's place in the UK power sharing remains at a bit of standstill in the devolved nation, with the DUP refusing to form an executive until changes are made. Today, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss confirmed the government will publish a law in the coming weeks, which will allow ministers to make changes to post-Brexit border rules in Northern Ireland without seeking the permission of the EU. I want to be clear to the House that this is not about scrapping the protocol. 
Our aim is to deliver on the protocol's objectives. We will cement those provisions which are working in the protocol, including the common travel area, the single electricity market and north-south cooperation, whilst fixing those elements that aren't on the movement of goods, goods regulation, VAT, subsidy control and governance. We remain open to a negotiated solution, but the urgency of the situation means we can't afford to delay any longer. Well, within moments of that announcement, the European Commission Vice President Maros Cevkovic released a statement warning that the EU will respond with all measures at its disposal. So, Nigel Farage, look, time is of the essence here. Is, is Liz Truss right to press ahead this way or should she have gone further and just scrapped the protocol altogether? Well, they're looking for a compromise, aren't they? And after all, let's remember, it was this government that negotiated this very deal. There were one or two of us raising alarm bells. I was in Brussels the night all this was agreed. I told people what it would lead to, but I guess the country was suffering from Brexhaustion, um, and that's why Boris got away with this part. <laughs> of, well, it was, wasn't it? We just had Oh, we were, we were, we were. You know, we were over I, it by was, that point, Nigel. We just wanted it done. Yeah, yeah. I, and, you know, and I was saying, look, you know, if you think this is an oven ready deal, you've got another thing coming. There'll be years and years of aggravation caused by it. But hey. Yeah, I remember. So you were right. Good. You were right then. Well, uh, I was right. So what I would you do right, now? But, but we are where we are. Fine. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, please, you know, please don't pretend that somehow these difficulties have emerged out of thin air. They haven't. They were obvious from the start. So what the government's trying to do is to seek a compromise. And actually, the concept of red lanes and green lanes, where goods that cross into Northern Ireland from the mainland, you know, those that are green are staying in Northern Ireland, those that are red are being transited through to the Republic, which is an EU country, it sounds great. And it sounds, at least that part of it, like a practical solution. The problem is, on the other side, we have the European Union. And let me tell you something, they are not going to budge one single inch. So all we're really doing here is we're kicking the can down the road. The ultimate decision that has to be taken, which is, you know, the triggering of Article 16, the scrapping of the protocol. By the way, don't forget, Ursula von der Leyen triggered Article 16 to try and stop vaccines, you know, getting into the United Kingdom. Um, I, I think the truth of it is, and I, I had Nigel Dodds, the former deputy leader of the DUP on my programme last night, and I said, Nigel, you'll be back in this chair in a year's time, and nothing would have changed. And I suspect this thing is just going to run on and on and on. I don't think the government has the courage to scrap the protocol, they probably fear the consequences. The EU are saying, you know, we shall do such things. They shall be the terrors of the earth. Um, and the truth of it is, BMW, Mercedes and Audi and Volkswagen want to continue selling their cars in this country. Uh, the last time I looked, we were one of the biggest buyers of champagne from France in the world. And the reality is there isn't going to be a trade war. But I'm sorry to say that this whole thing, Dan, will drag on for months, if not years. So you're not scared of the consequences, Nigel, of just saying to, to hell with it, scrap the whole darn thing? 
Well, don't forget, we were told if we voted Brexit, uh, we'd lose our jobs, lose our houses, and there would be an outbreak of super gonorrhea. It's after 9pm, I can say that. Um, and all of these things were said to it. No, look, I'm not scared of it. I'm not scared of it. One titchy bit. And we should remember that particularly over Ukraine and gas and oil supplies from Russia, the EU today is more divided than it's ever been before. They've got far bigger problems on their plate than Northern Ireland. But there is this streak of vindictiveness against the British. Um, and that's manifest itself ever since that morning of June 24th, 2016. Liz Truss insisted today that the government won't be breaking international law. Do you believe her? Look, if you sign a treaty, it is an international commitment by a government. However, no treaty lasts forever. All treaties are up for change. And the ideal way to change treaties is to do it mutually with the other side. If they won't do it, guess what? You break the treaty. It's been going on for thousands of years, and it will go on, I hope, for thousands of years more. Nigel, are you worried about the political situation in Northern Ireland? I mean, how perilous is it? And uh, do you worry that this could increase the support of Sinn Féin further, even though, of course, we do know the Unionist parties still hold uh, the majority of seats? Well, you've just said it. The Unionist parties, there were three Unionist parties all getting significant votes at this last election. And certainly in the case of the DUP and the TUV, I can't see any publicly stated policy difference between them whatsoever. And I, my real concern is this split in unionism is threatening the union far more than the so-called rise in Sinn Féin, incidentally, whose vote was only up by 1% from last time round. And, and, and what the unionists have done is to give Sinn Féin and, and the cause of those who support the EU and want the UK to break up, all the split unionist vote has done is given Sinn Féin a boost. Um, and unless the unionists get themselves together, uh, they're in real danger. The other worry, of course, is, you know, does the Belfast Agreement, the Good Friday Agreement, break down completely? over all of this. Uh, and I guess that's the biggest fear. Uh, mercifully to date, that has not happened. Um, but you never know. After all, this is Northern Ireland. Have, have, have our politicians let the people of Northern Ireland down, Nigel? Like a cheap, like a cheap pair of braces. Absolutely. They really, really have. And I, I remember on the night of the 31st of January 2020. And there we were, 100,000 of us in Parliament Square and a big old party going on. Uh, and yet there were people who I shared platforms with all over the UK, including in Northern Ireland, during that referendum campaign. And they weren't present because they knew what it meant. And if you start the breakup of the United Kingdom with Northern Ireland, who knows what the consequences are for Scotland and elsewhere. So, yes, uh, they have been. I know it's an old fashioned word. Um, and I know that Ian Paisley Sr. Uh, used to shout it from balconies to large audiences in Northern Ireland. But they have been betrayed. Of that, there's no doubt. Don't forget, the Prime Minister explicitly told them there would be no border in the Irish Sea. And there is. At some point in time, we're going to have to grasp this nettle, but they're not ready to do it yet.
best analysis in the business from the man behind Brexit, Nigel Farage, who will, of course, be here again tomorrow, 7 p.m. on GB News. Thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you. Dan Bolton here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Bolton tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. Listener.